0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. To the
1: self-made and the self-sufficient, our partner, Edelman Financial Engines, can tailor investment solutions for the wealth you're building. As a HerMoney listener, you'll get a complimentary financial plan when you call 833-304-PLAN or visit planefe.com slash hermoney. Hey everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks for joining us today on Her Money. We are recording this episode the day new inflation numbers just dropped. Prices were up 7.7% over the last 12 months and While that's still far higher than we'd like to see, it's also down from 8.2% in September. The stock market rallied on this news because any inflation slowdown is an indication that the Fed's rate hikes, and there have been six so far this year, are finally working to fight inflation. But while this news may be good, it's also still true that rising costs have our budgets stretched thinner than ever. Many of us have cut back on non-essential spending as much as we can, and we're still feeling the pinch, particularly those of us on a fixed income. Add to this the fact that tech companies have now eliminated more than 100 thousand jobs in the U.S. this year and other companies like Gap, Nordstrom, Ford, Gannett, Credit Suisse have also cut staff. It's very easy to see why so many of us are concerned. So we wanted to see if we could help. We decided to tackle some of your questions and hopefully ease some of those worries. So Catherine and I went through the mailbag. We put together a list of your inflation and layoff-related questions, and we are going to dig in. So, hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. You doing all right? I'm good. It is a beautiful fall day here in the Northeast. Yesterday, it was really, really cold, and Elliot was like, don't we get fall? We had summer up until the weekend. Don't we get fall? And today, we have a beautiful fall day. So, I'm happy for that.
0: And you? Yes. Yes. Same here. Amazing. And honestly, ready for winter. I feel. Oh, my like God. New York, Bite your tongue. New York in August was really oppressive this year. I have a new coat. I'm ready. I found $20 in last year's coat, and I have a new one, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm so ready. I'm just laughing because what
1: our listeners need to know is that you and your husband decided to escape the New York summer heat, and the place that you decided to go was Reykjavik for a month. So you know, it, it, they should, well, just, they should just put year. it in perspective. I get it. It was last year, but many of us enjoy the summer. We want to hold on to the summer. You're just a
0: winter girl. I don't look good in the summer. I don't <laughs> like shorts and tank tops and like floppy sandals. What is that? I want some tights. I need some long sleeve shirts. I need some plaid. Bring on the plaid. I beg to disagree. You, I think you look good <laughs> all year long, but let's dig into these questions. Our first question today comes to us from Amber. She writes, Hi Jean, a friend of mine told me recently that the best and only way to quote unquote beat inflation's impact on our weekly and monthly budget is to earn more money. She said that because we can't do anything about the increase in the cost of food, rent, healthcare, and other life essentials, that we simply have to try and counteract it by bringing in additional income. Is this true? And what does it mean for seniors who are on a fixed income? This worries me about my own retirement. What happens if inflation comes back and I don't have enough money set aside to cover the increase? I feel maybe you should do an entire show on how seniors can manage inflation, because I have to say, I do not understand it. Thank you so much for keeping us empowered and informed during dark times.
1: Great question, Amber. And I want to just emphasize the word beat. Inflation. You put the word beat in quotation marks. And when I see that, I think what you're asking is, is there a way to keep the increases in your disposable income up to the same level of inflation? And your friend is right in that earning more money is a very powerful weapon in this fight. There is a reason that we've seen so many people over the past year or so changing jobs. They are changing jobs because we had wage inflation. We had wage growth for the first time in a in a very long time. And by walking across the street, we cited this statistic in one of our podcasts. You were able to boost your salary by an average of, and correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, but I believe it was 23%, right? That is a huge amount of money. It is very hard to get your current employer unless you're getting some sort of a promotion to increase your your salary to the same degree. So, I think that earning more is a powerful weapon whether you do it by changing jobs, whether you do it by asking for a raise and getting it, whether you do it by striking out on some sort of a side gig or whether you do it by combing through your closet to see what you can sell in consignment or on the real reel or at some other site and and doing that. That's a good weapon in the fight against inflation, but it's not the only weapon in the fight against inflation. We can look at the other side of the equation. We can look at whether we are able to trim our food budgets in any way. I know, and one of the statistics that troubles me most year in and year out is the fact that we waste about 40% of the food in this country. If we didn't waste it, if we actually ate it, that would household by household probably lower our food expenses to some degree. If we look at things like other life essentials, there are some things that you buy that you value. There are some things that you buy that you don't. Trimming your spending is another weapon in the fight against inflation. But you asked specifically about seniors. And so what I do want to say is that Social Security has a cost of living increase. Social Security which is an annuity that will pay for the rest of our lives once we start to take it in, has a cost of living adjustment that does keep up with inflation. And seniors this year got the biggest bump in payments that we have seen in quite some time. Now, Social Security only provides for about 40% of the typical income of retirees. And so you're not getting that sort of an inflation adjustment on the rest of your money. But the way to protect yourself against it is to keep some of your money, at least some of your money, invested in stocks for growth. And I know right now, that sounds counterintuitive, because the markets have just had a terrible year. But When you look at the averages, in order to stay ahead of inflation, you have to be in stocks. Just putting your money in the bank, even though interest rates are higher than they have been for a while, is not going to cut it. I hope that that helps.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Jean. And what do you think about the high-yield savings account rates right now at 3%? Because those are a lot, lot higher than they were just a few months ago.
1: I think anybody who still has their money in a more traditional savings account is nuts. I mean, the average interest rate on a more traditional savings account, the one that you're going to generally get from a big bank, is 0.16%. That is, you know, close to two tenths of 1%. It's still basically nothing, even though we've had these six successive interest rates. These same banks that have put through increases on your credit cards immediately, by the way, are not putting through the increases on your savings accounts, but the Internet banks, the credit unions like our sponsor, BCU, they are putting them through. And so by moving your money to a high interest savings account, you are going to be able to get 20 times the return on your money than you would by just leaving it in that
0: average bank savings account. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, great perspective. Thank you. Our next question comes to us from an anonymous listener. She writes, hi, Gene and team. I have officially come to terms with my stress over the stock market. I'm still 10 years away from retirement, and I feel that I have time to make up for any losses I incur over the next few years. But that only holds true as long as I stay employed. I work for a large household name tech company, and I'm high enough up the food chain that I know layoffs are coming, to the tune of as much as 20% of my team. Beyond having an emergency fund, which I do, three months' worth, is there anything I can do to get ahead of what might be coming? I've considered looking for other jobs, but not sure if it's wise to be the new kid on the block at any corporation if a recession is coming. Please note, I do not have the bandwidth to take on a side hustle right now as I'm stretched thin with work and family obligations as it is. Thank you so much for your informative podcast. Thank you so much
1: for your letter and I'm sorry that this is happening in your industry. It's gonna be happening more and more, I think, as the economy just comes back to a, a level that is able to support itself. I would think, Carefully about jumping to another tech company, another company that you think is going to have the sort of layoffs that you are experiencing right now. What I might look at is where you can employ your skills in companies in industries that are still thriving. I mean, maybe look at healthcare, maybe look at other sorts of consumer products that are not as subject to the ups and downs, the volatility in the economy. And think about Are there places that you could slot yourself in there? Now, that may mean taking yourself out of your comfort zone. It may mean going in a direction that you haven't thought about before. But as you start casting a net and looking for another job, that's something that I would think about. And I would be looking for another job. I would be looking for... Another job, both in and outside of the tech industry. And as you do it, think about trying to negotiate severance in advance if you expect that layoffs are coming. Think about whether it's possible to negotiate a signing bonus that you could bank, and that could set you up with some sort of a cushion if you're out of the workforce for a little while. And the other thing to understand is that looking for a job, in my mind, and I I kind of think that there are certain people who are always looking, and that's not so bad because always looking, if you're doing it in a sort of low-key way, is really just synonymous with maintaining your network and keeping your connections up and keeping your name on the front of people's minds for when they have an opening. One thing that I remember really stuck with me from the recession in 2008 is that even in those times, companies were hiring. They weren't hiring as much, but they were still replacing those key members of their teams that decided to retire or decided to leave and go elsewhere. Hiring doesn't stop just because we're in a recession. And so I'd get out there and I'd start talking to people and I'd see if perhaps you like the look and sound and feel of an industry that you hadn't considered, but maybe doesn't feel quite so tenuous. One last thing, just because you get an offer doesn't mean you have to take it.
0: That's such a great point. Yeah, don't let your nerves over what might happen inspire you to take a job that's less than ideal. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think by the time, I mean, look, the interviewing process has gotten, in my humble opinion, out of control. There is, and this is particularly true in some tech companies, I mean, there is no reason that you should be sitting through 10 or 12 interviews to figure out if they should hire you. (laughs) That is another podcast, right? But it does allow you to, by the time the offer makes its way to you, know if you actually want to do this job.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's how I've always looked at sample projects. If I'm interviewing for a job and they give me a sample project, I'm like, well, do I like this project? (laughs) You know, it's not about my ability. It's about, is this something I want to be doing every day?
1: And when you do that project, do you like the way that your work is evaluated? Do you like the people that you are interfacing with as you go through it? It gives you a real taste for the company.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Before we move on to additional questions, let me just remind everybody that our partner, Edelman Financial Engines, can tailor a really customized investment solution for you, for the wealth that you're building, the wealth you're growing and protecting. Their investment management approach is based on Nobel Prize winning research and their planners do not sell products to earn commissions ever. So no matter where you're going next, See how they can help you get there with a plan crafted specifically for you. Go to planefe.com. We are in the middle of our bonus mailbag on inflation. What's up next, Catherine? Our next
0: question comes to us from a member of our Private Harmony Facebook group. She writes... On one of the morning shows today, I heard an offhand remark that inflation would die down if we all just stopped shopping so much and stopped buying goods at these inflated prices. But is it really that simple? (laughs) I wish it was that
1: simple. I mean, look, if you're going to go with the simplest econ 101 answer, then I guess it would be yes, because if people stop buying a product, the price will fall because demand will go away and supply and demand where they intersect, that's where you get the price. But like all things in a global economy, nothing is that simple. There's prioritized spending that people can't stop. For example, people have to have shelter. If rents or mortgages go up, we still need a place to live. Many, if not most, people need cars to get around, and we have to buy gas. Same with food. We need food. We need our staples. We also need our Cheetos. And while we can choose to, say, skip the summer road trip or avoid the high-priced lamb chops in the meat aisle, we do have to continue purchasing the basics every day. The key factor here is that when prices for things go up, people tend to simply rebalance their spending because it's virtually impossible to stop buying necessities. If inflation was being solely driven by a lot of excess cash and demand, like during the pandemic when there was that run on toilet paper and increased demand for kitchen gadgets, then slowing our purchasing would actually help fight inflation. But there are a lot of other factors at work here on the supply chain with those supply chain issues that still haven't gone away, including the wheat from Ukraine, Russia's oil, OPEC's production cuts, and so much more. And then there are also different sectors of the economy that a shopping slowdown affects differently. So, for example, if people choose not to buy a gas-guzzling car, then that car just sits on the lot, costing the dealer money. Eventually, the dealer lowers the price, again, supply and demand, so they can bring in a model that is much more likely to sell. Milk, eggs, apples, they don't work that way as long as the cost of the feed and the fertilizer and the transportation needed for that food remains high, the price isn't magically going to come down, even if people stop buying it. Let's take another example. Hotels versus potatoes. Stay with me for a second. If people stop going to hotels, the room rates will come down because there is a cost to that business for having an empty room. But if you've got a potato crop that was impacted by bad weather, not buying those potatoes is not going to change the high price. And there are so many different examples that I could throw at you here. You can probably even think of a few yourself. One other factor, since we have made the point that the economy is a give and take, if people stop shopping or if prices are forced down while the cost of production remains high, then profit margins are going to shrink. And manufacturers, distributors, stores, they're then forced to lay off workers, and that's not good. The cure a longer, deeper recession or a depression may be worse than the disease that we're currently fighting, high inflation. Because in part, the inflation is being driven by our low unemployment rates and the fact that more people with more jobs have more money to spend. I know I throw a lot at you and I hope that it makes sense, but thank you so much for a really great
0: question that let
1: me go back to my econ 101 days
0: it is a really thought-provoking question and like you said yes but it's not that simple there's so many moving parts in our economy and some are bigger than others and weighted differently than others
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. But tell me if you didn't just see the supply and demand graph like in your head, right? Where it, <laughs> totally. where it intersects, there's the P. Yes, totally. Before we go into our last question, I want to remind everyone that her money is supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union, a great credit union, providing a wide array of financial products and services for its members. If you're currently exploring the auto market, you should know BCU offers financing and refinancing options as well as an exclusive auto buying service that can save you both time and money. You can learn more at
0: bcu.org. We've got one more, right, Catherine? We do. Our last question today comes from Marie. She writes... Hi, Jean. I'm writing to you for the first time today because I just took over all of my elderly mother's finances, and I think I need some advice or at least some reassurance. I was overall unprepared for the stress and burden of taking on the responsibility for someone else's financial life. It's been a few months now, and I've finally got the full picture of things, but I am struggling with how to prepare for the long-term unknowns with my mother on a very tight fixed income. For example, she recently changed heart medicines, and the new drug was briefly $600 a month until her doctor and Medicare were able to establish that she was allergic to other comparable options. Also, she takes a medication that is mailed to her once a month that must be refrigerated within 24 hours, only she often forgets to check the packages outside her door and the medication spoils. The replacement cost is $90 out of pocket. Last year, this happened four times, and unfortunately, I don't live close enough that I can always be there to grab it. And putting a health care cost aside, every line item in her budget has gone up. Rent, food, and insurance. The Social Security COLA is helping, but it is not enough. Do you have any guidance on how I can reduce my stress level surrounding this new responsibility and how I might be able to get out ahead of some of these expenses? The unknowns are far and away the most anxiety inducing thing for me, and I guess I'm trying to decide if there's a way to stop some of them in their tracks, or if I should just get used to this new normal during this last season of my mom's life. She is a wonderful person, and I want to make sure I'm doing right by her. At the same time, I'm reducing my blood pressure over this as much as I possibly can with much gratitude.
1: Oh boy, Marie, first of all, you are doing what we all will be doing at some point in our lives, I think. I think for anybody who's listening to this show and listening to Marie's question and thinking this doesn't apply, all I can say is wait, because this is a glimpse into The future of all of us who have parents who are living a longer period of time on a fixed amount of money and who are going to need our help. The first thing I would say to you, Marie, is if you have siblings, I would really encourage you to try to bring them into the tent. Yes, maybe you are the one who's on point, but. There may be ways, either with time or with money, that these other members of your family can and should contribute. And often that won't happen unless you ask for that help. So if you haven't asked for that help, ask for that help. Second thing I want to point out is that we are currently in open enrollment period for Medicare. You will want to talk to your mother's doctors and go through these medications and make sure that she is on the right Medicare plans for these prescriptions, not just the ones that she's taking right now, but the ones that the doctors think that she will be taking in the coming year. You just want to try to get ahead of that if possible. Third thing that occurs to me is there is a wonderful resource called BenefitsCheckup.org. I want you to go there and go through it and make sure that you are checking the boxes for all of the different things that your mother is eligible for. Some of them are as simple as rides to the doctor that can make a really big difference if you're living Close by, but not so close that you can, say, grab her medications. But you also want to make sure that if there are other things that can help you defray some part of the cost burden, you tap into them. Number four, I... Assume that you or your mother is an AARP member, but you don't even have to be a member to go online and to access a lot of the resources, the incredibly valuable resources that they have put in place for their caregiving community. I've been AARP's financial ambassador for the last 10 years, and so I'm very familiar with all of the wonderful tools and advice that they offer. And I would encourage you to check that out as well. And finally, I can't stop thinking about this picture of the medicine on the doorstep just sitting there and spoiling. Would it be possible for you to have that medicine sent to you and then you to deliver it? in a timely enough manner that it doesn't spoil? Or would it be possible for it to be delivered to a neighbor who is much more likely to notice when it actually gets there and is responsible enough to put it in the fridge? I know it's a small thing, but $90 is not a small expense. And so think creatively about the village that your mother lives in, whether there are any other people or whether you could take control of that or even just pick that medicine up so that you don't run into what accounts for over the cost of a year, a $360 expense. Those would be my suggestions at this point, although I'm going to continue to think about this one and see if I can come up with anything else for you.
0: Catherine, anything occur to you? I think to your point about Just asking for help, it takes a village. There could very well be a neighbor who would love to be in charge of that medication drop who might want some company themselves. So, you know, I I think it's very easy to feel isolated in these situations, particularly when you are the sole caregiver doing the lion's share of the work. But I think particularly for something like this that's an easy lift, you know, that would be fine.
1: Yeah. People are willing to help. They don't necessarily know what they can do to help you. I remember doing a podcast with Lee Woodruff, who is a caregiving advocate and spent many, many years helping her husband, Bob Woodruff, the ABC consultant and anchor recover after he had an incident in war. And she said, People would say, can I do something for you? What can I do for you? Be specific when you tell them. It's okay to say, this is really what I need right now. There are people who will be grateful to be given the opportunity to do something for you because doing something for somebody else feels good. So let them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, such a great point that, you know, there may be already be somebody helping her with her mail or packages and, uh, you know, or even like a, somebody helping with the lawn who could be tapped for something like this.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, good luck, Marie. And don't worry that you're not doing right by her. You are doing completely right by her. And you should a hundred percent know that. Catherine, thank you so much for these great questions. Thank you so much, Jean. And thank all of you for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks for writing to us with these insightful questions. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.